good singing this morning. You know, as we pray, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, if you want to come forward, you can come and pray here at the front while I'm reading. But, uh, but at the conclusion of my reading, we're going to pray. But, you know, we are in a season of remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is why we sing. It's why we gather. You know, if we don't have the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. Um, we're just a social club on a Sunday morning. But you know, the Bible says this, I tell you this, brothers, in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. If you're trying to do things on your own and you're trying to get there on your own, you will not inherit heaven. But he says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will, will be raised and perishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, quote, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, here it is, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, church, my beloved brothers, be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Hey, that's, that's a good word, isn't it? And with that being said, let's pray. God, as we come to you, we thank you this morning for that victory. We thank you for that victory over sin on the cross. We thank you for that victory over death from the grave. We saw a picture of that this morning with two that were baptized a week ago, two more that were baptized. We thank you for the gift and the beauty of baptism. For Lord, it gives us a very visible understanding of Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection. And then we get to sing about that and we get to read about that, and we get to pray to you about that and thank you for it. And Lord, it inspires us, it encourages us, it motivates us to be immovable and steadfast in what we do. Because God, we don't believe in a God who is dead, we believe in a God who is living. We believe that you, Lord, see our lives, you speak into our lives, you are always present, you're always there, just as we have learned in the book of Joshua, and when we open your word, God, you say to us time and time again, you will never depart from us, you will never leave your children or abandon your children, no matter what we experience in this world, and we experience a lot, a lot of disappointment, Lord, a lot of discouragement, Lord. A lot of difficult and tough days, God. But thanks be to God that none of it is in vain. And Lord, what we do and how we pursue you day after day and getting back up and walking by faith towards you, Lord, it's not meaningless, but it matters because we walk towards and we march towards a God who is always moving in our lives and ahead of our lives and you've seen and walked in our past. And we thank you for that this morning. Thank you for that encouragement this morning. We are in a season, Lord, of remembering Jesus, your resurrection. And we thank you that there is no sting 
any longer. There is no death any longer. No eternal separation from you, God, for those of us who have trusted in you, Jesus, as our Savior and Lord. We believe, and therefore you have given us this great gift of grace and mercy, and you've poured out your Holy Spirit in our lives, and you, Holy Spirit, are alive and well in our hearts this morning. You are alive and well in this room this morning. You, Lord, collectively, by way of our faith and our collection of of faith in this room, Lord, inhabit our praise and our worship. You are here. You're working. You're speaking. You're encouraging us. You're, Lord, moving us to the truth of your word. You are bringing to life the things that we need to remember that we have oftentimes forgotten in your word. You bring us to Jesus. You bring us, Lord, to the uh, spirit, to the, to the things that matter, the things that, Lord, we need to remember and keep on the forefront of our mind. You give us the eyes to look towards Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we thank you for that this morning. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the local church. There's nothing like it, Lord. No social club, no event or organization to be a part of. Lord, the living and the breathing body of Christ, the local church, the family of God, the household of God that you have assembled, that you're working in and you're building and you're continuing to build upon build. On, on stone after stone and individual after individual, you continue to build your church. And we thank you for the promise that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. No matter how our culture shifts and changes, your church continues to endure. And we're just taking our turn. And we thank you, Lord, for this local church that you've put into our lives. We need your grace and your forgiveness this morning, Lord. And Lord, there are things in our lives and in our hearts, God, that we need to turn over to you. Things that God have just plagued our faith. Things that have gotten in the way of what you want to say to us day in and day out. And so, God, we're really sorry for the things that we've done, things that we've thought about, the attitude of our hearts that have not been pleasing to you. We know we are met with a God not of condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We meet a God who does forgive. We confess and repent. All of the work that you did on the cross and from the grave has been applied to us. You don't just rip it away from us. And so this morning we put our minds and our hearts in where they should be, and that's on you, Lord. We turn away from our sins and we follow through with obedient faith because that's what you've called us to. No matter what we can see, what we can see, cannot see, what we feel, what we cannot feel, we follow you by faith. That's all you require of us. And you do the rest. So bless this time in your word. Open it for us. Help us to understand it and see it and give us the courage to respond to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 12. You know, this series as we're walking through the book of Joshua is called Faithful God, Courageous Living. And when we look at really the title of God's word today and this message today out of Joshua chapter 12, it really comes down to God's faithfulness. And this is a message really that is, um, really has to do with 
the, the truth of not just what happened and what was going on in Israel, but what happens and what God is doing in our everyday life, church. Listen, God is faithful, isn't he? We know this. And so this morning, we're going to see the faithfulness of God played out. You know, when you come to, to Joshua chapter 12, we talked last week that there are these three big movements in the book of Joshua. There is the preparation phase of God's people as they're coming into the promised land. God has moved away from Moses and gives God's people a new leader, which is Joshua. Comes to him in Joshua chapter 1, has to prepare the leader before he prepares the people. And so he comes to Joshua three times, not once, but three times, and he says, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. I mean, you got to prepare the leader. The leader's got to know and be in lockstep with God before he can lead God's people because things are going to go south. Things are going to be, things are going to get real in the lives of the people of God. And so he had to prepare the leader in Joshua chapter 1. Then he prepares his people, right? He brings them to the brink of the, of the promised land. This is the second generation, right? He brings them in, and he's about to move them into, into, um, into the promised land. He has to prepare his people. And then he's going to bring them into the promised land. You know, I think about this chapter, I oftentimes think, you know, we can come to chapters like this, and if I were to read the chapter, you would be almost asleep by the end. I'm pretty sure you would be. You ever get to like the book of Leviticus, and you start reading, or the book of Numbers, and you get to those chapters where there's like a million names in there, and you can't pronounce them, so what do you do? You start skipping them? Yes, you do that. I know you do. You come to Joshua chapter 12, and it's like this summary, if you will, and it's a summary of all these kings and these kings' names, and you think to yourself, why are these names here? Why is this chapter here? And we're tempted oftentimes to skip over chapters like this, or we think, you know what, God, 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 God's okay if I skip this chapter, or if I just kind of skim through it, it's all right, it's all good. I mean, who wants to name their son Og and Sihon? I mean, who comes up with those names? We don't use those types of names. Oftentimes, we come to chapters like this, we don't understand them, and so we just kind of skip over them. We're just going to trust it, but we're not going to really think about it. We're just going to move from 11 to 13, but i got to tell you this morning, God has a word for us in 12. And so we're not going to skip over it. We're going to walk through it, but I want you to see the overarching word that I believe God has for us. Every part of God's word is purposeful in our lives. And I want to remind us of that this morning. No matter where you go, what type of passage you come to in the Bible, every passage, every person, or every story, every individual, every part is purposeful. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given it to us. So chapter 12 is purposeful. It's not pointless. It's powerful. It's not purposeless. It's purposeful. I find in my own personal life at times, and I think in all of our lives, we come to those kind of moments in our life with which we are either disappointed or we're discouraged in moments like that. We begin to dwell on the moment. You with me? You dwell on the moment. And if something happens, you begin to dwell on how you feel. You dwell on, on what you hear and what's going on around you, all of these kinds of things. And we begin to dwell on those things. And at times like that, there we are tempted to give up. We are tired, maybe we're at a point of just being, feeling uh, as though nothing is working, and so the reaction in our lives is we have these moments in our life where we react with discouragement, we react with disappointment. And oftentimes we lose sight of the bigger picture. We lose sight of the bigger picture. But when we are focused, and God focuses us at times, in moments and in seasons in our life, it propels you 
to move forward in the future. Sometimes you just need to remember what God's done. Sometimes you need to remember what God is doing, which then propels you to keep moving forward with the left foot and the right foot and just keep moving forward in your faith. It gives you perspective. It helps you understand that there's a bigger picture here than rather what, the, what kind of a bad day you're having. Good day, bad day, I feel really good today, really things went well today, things didn't go well for me today, and where I'm all over the place in my own emotions and feelings. God's people here have answered the call. For 11 chapters in Joshua, they've answered the call to enter the promised land. Remember, generation one got it wrong. God sends them back into the wilderness for how many years? 30 years? 40 years. Yeah, you, you know your Bibles. 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. They wander and they go and God die, kills that, or they, that entire generation dies off. And their children rise up. Their children have seen, they've heard the stories. They know about what God did in Egypt. They know what God did when it comes to splitting the Red Sea. And now it's their turn. And so they're going to respond with faith. And there's only two of the 12 spots left. It's Caleb and who? Joshua. And the leadership of God's people goes and moves from Moses to Joshua. And now God has his hand, his anointing on Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. And so they go into the promised land. And, and so there is this kind of season, if you will. They answer the call. They respond with obedient faith. They meet a God who is faithful, and then they courageously follow him with obedient faith. That's all God requires of us and all God wants from us. And for 11 chapters, they have been not only being prepared, but then they have been conquering the promised land. And so, as we saw a week ago, God gave them rest from war at the end of chapter 11. The land had rest from war. And then we have this incredibly strange chapter Chapter 12 is this pause, or it's a reminder, if you will, of all that God has done in 11 chapters up until this point. Because in chapter 13, we're going to see another shift, if you will, in the book of Joshua. Another shift, if you will, in what's going to happen, and that's called the allotment of the land. All the 12 tribes are going to get what their inheritance. But before you get to the inheritance, you got to look backwards and see all that God has done, which is the purpose of of chapter 12. You see, church, you and I need to remember this morning, as God's people need to remember, we need to remember on a regular basis that God is faithful, and he is faithful to all of his people, and he is faithful to his word. He's faithful to all of his people, and he's faithful to his word. Every king of the land, as we're going to see in chapter 12, because we're going to see that phrase twice, Every king of the land that God gave Israel was a testimony of God's faithful commitment to his people and to his word. Every king, every city-state, every place that God's people came and they saw success, it gave the people of God this testimony, this living testimony that they could point to Jericho. They could point to Ai. They could point to that coalition. They could point to this, this group of kings that God gave them, and they could say, God is faithful to us. He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his word, which should propel you and I to live faithful. We keep going. We find hope and we live our lives for the glory of God. That's what God's called us to do. And so God shows us faithfulness here in two practical ways. And I want you to see it in chapter 12. Maybe don't skip over it next time, but read through it and see the faithfulness of God. And I want to show you first and foremost, God is faithful to all of his people. He's faithful to all of his people. 
I mean, this is the point of the first few verses of chapter 12. Look there with me. Now there are the kings of the land. These are the kings of the land whom the people of, of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon with all the Arabah eastward. Sihon, king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon and ruled with Aurora, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is half of Gilead and the Arabah to the sea of Chenaroth eastward and in the direction of Beth Jeshemoth to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea southward to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim who lived in Ashtaroth and Edri. You think, well, what does that have to do with me? You got to understand that what God is doing here is he's, he's gifted the land to his people. That's the whole point. He wants the people of God to remember that God has given them all this land and he's provided for them. Begun, and this began long before they arrived to this land. What he's describing here is the east of the Jordan River. And I want you to, I want to simplify it for us this morning to understand what God is saying. That when they would read this, when they would understand this, they were seeing the faithfulness of God. And God, how God moved on the east side of the Jordan River. Look at verse 6. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half-tribe of Manassas. you got to remember, Moses had been in charge of God's people. He had been in charge of God's people, and they were leading, leading them towards the promised land, and there were these two particular territories. One was Sihon in the south that they arrived to before they crossed the Jordan. Sihon in the south near Heshbon, and then there is Og, who is the, the king of the north, which is near Bashan. And when they arrive, the east, when the people of God arrive there, it tells us the story in Deuteronomy chapter 3 that flows into Deuteronomy chapter 3, I mean 2, that flows into Deuteronomy chapter 3 of what happens here, the story. I mean, God's people had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they make their way towards the promised land, and here's the second generation and here's what happens. God says to Moses, send ahead and ask these two particular territories east of the Jordan River where Bashan and where Og are, uh, Asihon and where Og are, to just simply pass through. Just let us pass through. We won't do anything to you. We're just going to pass through on our way to the Jordan River to cross the promised land. In fact, we'll not just pass through peacefully, but we want to buy food and water from you as we pass through. But it says that the hearts of those two kings were hardened, and in that space of, of them being hardened, they said no, and they pushed back against God's people. So what did God do? He said, I'll tell you what, take them out. And so God's people take them out. God's people defeated these two kings, Sihon and Og, and that's the story of Deuteronomy 2 that flows into Deuteronomy 3, which was then became a down payment, if you will, of what was to come in Canaan. And so, listen, here's the key. 
the key was that the land east of the Jordan River was given to them. Look at back at verse 6. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, remember Joshua's not in charge yet, gave their land for a possession, there it is, to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. Two and a half of the tribes are given this land. But they commit to following alongside God's people across the Jordan River all the way through Canaan before they go back and settle their land fully across on the east side of the Jordan River. So why does God bring this up again for his people? Why does God bring this up for us at the beginning of chapter 12? I mean, what is the big deal with King Sihon and with, with Og? Well, listen, it's a reminder it was a reminder for God's people. It's a reminder for us. The Lord is faithful not just to the tribes of the east, but also to those of the west. This is in two nations. Listen, this is in two nations that splits into of, of one. This is or one nation that splits into two, rather. This is one nation. And the Lord is faithful to all of his people. He's not just faithful to the west. He's not, he is also faithful to the east. He's faithful to all of his people. And listen, church, that's important for us to understand. Because I think in our churches today, there is a danger for the church to see each other differently. We can come into a room like this, we can interact with one another, we can have, you know, fellowship with one another, but sometimes we can drift into tribes or groups, and if we're not careful, we begin to relegate people who are fellow Christians, who are fellow followers of Jesus Christ as, quote, not quite belonging Maybe we split apart based on personality or economic and socioeconomic or socioeconomic background, or maybe it's our age. Maybe it's that we're living stenites, or we're not living stenites. We haven't been here for 30, 40, 50, 60. Maybe I don't have two, three, four generations back in Polk County, but I have someone who's just moved here before. Maybe it's based on race. I, I don't know what it is, but, but sometimes we can not necessarily outright reject people, but we just avoid people. That's how we outright sometimes reject people. We just avoid them. And so we get into when we stay within our little circles. And if we're not careful, when we have to work at this, if we're not careful, we begin to split apart and be divided as a congregation, to be divided as a family. You say, well, that would never happen to us. Well, it happened to Corinth. Because that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this was a church that had grown divided between the rich and the wealthy in, this, in the church in Corinth and those that were the middle class or the poor in Corinth. And God uses Paul to write 1 Corinthians to them and to the whole church, and they were treating each other differently. And Paul then reminds the people of Corinth, these words, and he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We've got to remind ourselves that, that God is faithful not just to a certain group of people, not just to these particular Christians who maybe dress nice or don't dress nice. God is faithful to all of us. He's faithful to all of his people. He's faithful to Israel. He is faithful to us. He didn't look at the east differently than he looked at the west. He didn't look at the two and a half on the east part, and he didn't look at the rest of the, of the tribes on the, on the west differently. He looked at his people, his nation. God is faithful to his people. 
but he's also faithful to his promises. I mean, if you continue on down in chapter 12, the focus begins to shift from the east to the west. God wants them to remember that God is not only faithful to all of his people in the east, just as he was the west, but he's also faithful to his promises. God's faithfulness followed them from the wilderness through the conquest and is going to follow them into the inheritance. I want you to watch this with me. Look at verse 7 and 8. And these are the kings of the land. There's that phrase again from chapter 12, verse 1. Now we see it in chapter 12, verse 7. And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan from Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon and Mount Halak and rises that rises towards Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their allotments. allotments. And look at verse 8. In the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, in the Negev, in the land of the Hittites, in the Amorites, in the Canaanites, in the Perizzites, in the Hittites, Hivites, in the Jebusites. What's God doing here? What's he putting here? Why does he put these things here for us? Well, what God shows us is there, there are these six nations or six peoples that he's going to, he's pointing out in these two verses, but he's also pointing out four geographical areas. God gave them the rocky soil, the fertile soil. He gave them the mountains. He gave them the barren soil. He gave them all of this land, but God had not just given everything to his people. They had not earned anything. They had not deserved anything. And by the way, by the way, church, we don't either. We don't deserve this building we worship in. We don't deserve the air conditioning that is keeping us cool today or warm today, if you're here. God doesn't give us, everything God gives us is a, is a gift. It's a blessing. God blesses us with salvation. He blesses us by way of the joy that we have to be able to stand up when life is crummy and raise our hands and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us, he fills our hearts with that kind of joy. He fills our hearts with that kind of, of presence that then is then poured out by way of praise and worship of him. He gives us all these things, right? We are filled with his Holy Spirit. We didn't deserve that. We don't earn that. No matter how crummy my life is, how much I've messed up in my life and how I followed my feelings after feelings and feelings and feelings and I really messed up to the place where I turned back away from my feelings and begin to follow objective truth in my life, And even though it doesn't feel right, God says it is right. And when I follow God's way and he grants to me salvation and forgiveness and his grace and his mercy is poured upon my life, that's not something I earned or deserved. It's something that was given. God's people had been given this land. God's people had been given victory after victory after victory. And it's not as though they had brought about the victory. It was God's victory that had been given to them. All these nations that he mentions in the promised land are already cursed. You see, this isn't about God being a meanie and being this dictatorial, you know, oppressive God to take out nation after nation, people after people, killing and all of these things. This isn't about God being a meanie. This is about God being holy. And the people that are in the, Canaan, in the Canaan, in the promised land, have long turned away from God. They're pagan as all get out. They don't love God. They don't pray to God. They don't walk with God. They don't follow God in the least bit. And God is doing something new. He creates his people, Israel, and he's going to give them this promised land from a people that do not love him, a people that do not worship him, a people who will not worship him and follow him. 
And this is a people that had already been cursed. If you go back to Genesis chapter 10, even a descendant there, and his name was Ham. This is the, these are the descendants of Ham. Genesis, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1, we see that God had already cursed this land, cursed the people that would inhabit and live in this land. And so when you get to verse 9 here in chapter 12, look at it. I mean 9, 10, all the way through verse 24. This is simply a chronicle of God's faithfulness, a testimony of God's faithfulness. This is 31 named kings, 31 named places and city-states that God has already conquered and given to his people. This is Canaan, a place that is fruitful, full of nations, full of armies, but they were all wicked. None of them followed God. And yet here is Israel a people who are following God with what? Obedient faith. And God has given it to them, not because of their, because they earned it, because they're good people, but because in spite of that, the sin in their lives, God's still giving this land to them. So why list all of this in chapter 12? Why list 31 kings in chapter 12? Because listen, church, this is the long time fulfillment of a promise that God has already given way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, at the end of chapter 15, this is a promise God gives Abraham way before all of this happens here in Joshua chapter 12, way before all of it. Now I want you to listen to these verses. I put them on the screen for you. It says this in verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt and the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. I mean, this is long before Joshua chapter 12. God has already promised Abraham. He's promised the descendants of Abraham. He's promised God's people that he's going to give them this land. It doesn't matter who's there. God already knows he's going to inhabit that land. And yet here in this space, in chapter 12, God is reminding them of his faithfulness. So therefore, this is no ordinary dirt. This is no ordinary field. This is no ordinary valley. This is no ordinary river. And it's still no ordinary river, no ordinary mountain, no ordinary valley. It's still God's land. It's the promised land. And every king and every nation that's listed right here in chapter 12 is simply a testimony of God's faithfulness, a testimony to his promises, the promises to his word, uh, the promises that he lays out for his people in his word that he's simply bringing to fruition. Listen, God is good to his people. He was good to Israel. He is still good to his people. For, for victory after victory that, they, that we have walked through in the book of Joshua in these first 11 verses or chapters, God is still good to his people. And when the Lord speaks, listen, church, he will deliver. When he speaks a promise in, your, in his word to you, when you open your Bibles and your devotions and you're busy and you open your Bible with your cup of coffee and you come across a, across a promise that you see from Scripture, you have to understand that he is good to his people. He is good to his word. He is, he is a man of his, or he's a God of his word. He will always deliver on his promises. Which means, listen, when he comes to our lives on this side of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand that when God speaks of judgment, the judgment of sin, he's faithful to his promises. I mean, if I choose to follow my own way and go down my own path, 
I can't have God's word and my feelings and the things that I really, really want to do that may contradict the word of God and have it both ways. That's a contradiction. That's like oil and water. It does not mix, right? We know that. Just makes logical sense. So when God says something that, that prohibits me from going down this path or saying this or doing this or living that type of a lifestyle, and God says that he doesn't, he's not on board with it, and yet I choose to follow my own feelings and my own emotions and follow my own heart, I can't have God's wisdom and man's wisdom coinciding with each other. It just doesn't work. And so when God's word says that he brings about judgment upon sin, he brings about judgment upon my life when I choose to not follow his word over my feelings, over my emotions, over what I really, really, really want to do, no matter what everybody else is telling me, it's okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. What matters is the promises of God. That's what matters. And therefore, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, because that's what he wants for your life, if you don't know him yet, is for you to turn away from your feelings, your heart, your, your, your way of living life, but following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly with your life. And when you choose to do that, then we're given this fork in the road of how we're going to live our lives. Will we live our lives by way of following him and glorifying him with our hearts? Or will we live our lives by way of cheapening the grace and the mercy that he's poured out upon my life? Ouch. Will I cheapen it by, by saying I follow Jesus, I follow the Lord with my life, but, but I can live my life the way I want to? It just doesn't work that way, right? We're, we're called, as we saw a week ago, we're called to live like Jesus. We're called to pursue the things that Christ wants us to do. That's, that's at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which we just read a moment ago. He says, therefore, based on all the resurrection, based on everything God's done, therefore, be immovable, Right? It should propel you to walk by faith and not give up on doing the work that God wants you to do in your life. Continue to move forward in your life, to spiritually grow in your life. The thing about it is God calls me or promises a life to, to, to look like Jesus. At the same time, God promises this restoration. He gives good gifts to his people when we choose to pursue him. Which is why 2 Peter chapter 1, 3, and 4, I read it a week ago. I'll read it again this morning. These important verses for us says this. For his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of that divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to all of his people. He's faithful to his promises, which in turn propels us to live this faithful life. I'm reminded of this very truth in my own personal life. God's not somewhere floating on a cloud. It's not the movies. God's not floating around somewhere. His mind is not off of us this morning. His mind is not off of you this morning. He's near, listen, to those who love him. If you love him, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual life. It doesn't matter where you are emotionally, spiritually, even physically. He is near to those who love him. God is faithful. He's faithful to all of his people. 
He's faithful to his word. So get your minds off of the small picture. Put your mind on the big picture because that's where we are to live our lives. The Bible tells us very famously in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Listen to this verse. I've got it on the screen for you there above my heads. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, you know what? God sent that word to his people who were in exile. And he wanted them to remember when he had taken them out of the promised land because of their sin, that he wasn't done with them. He had plans for them, plans to prosper, not for welfare. He was going to bring them back to the promised land, and he did. He took them out of exile, and he put them back into the promised land. Listen, church, we need to understand that how we respond to that faithfulness is we respond with obedient faith. That's all God wants. He wants you to respond with obedient faith. As a Christian, I respond to him with obedient faith. So we turn away from ourselves and we start to trust him. We turn away from ourselves and we start to trust him. One foot in front of the other, getting our eyes and our focus on Jesus. God's people in chapter 12 needed to have a pause. From all that God had done in their lives, he was reminding them of his faithfulness which is going to then propel them in chapter 13 onward of the allotment of the land, the inheritance of the land, to once you settle down, I want you to remember my faithfulness. You didn't take this land. I gave it to you. Now go glorify me with it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. You know, we're going to have a time of response. Will you just take some time this morning and pray? And just respond to God with obedient faith. Just say, God, I just want to obey you. I don't understand what's going on in my life right now, but, but Lord, would you show me how I can take steps of obedience to just be faithful to you? Will you ask the Lord for that this morning if you're a Christian in the room? Maybe God is speaking to you this morning about turning away from yourself and trusting him. Maybe God's speaking to you about trusting him with your as, a, as his Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior and your Lord. He did all this work on the cross and from the grave for you. And he wants you to follow him with it. Turn away from your feelings. Turn away from everything that everybody has told you to do that is contrary to what God says and start trusting him and following him. And I know that sometimes that's going to be hard. Sometimes you're in a situation, you're in a lifestyle, you're in a, in a, sp a state right now where you've really messed up your life and you're like, how do I get out of this? And what God says to you is, your job is not to get out of it. My job is to transform and change your heart and your life, but he wants your faith. And if you'll do that, if you'll surrender your life to him, God does this work in your life. So don't come cleaning your life up to God. You come with your messed up life and God begins to change and transform your heart and your mind. And he'll put you on a course and a pathway of looking how, looking the way that he wants you to look and thinking the way he wants you to think. But you've got to trust and follow Jesus. And maybe that's where you are. I'll be here at the front to receive you if you want to come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to leave this. I want to turn away from sin. I want to start following him. I'll be here at the front to receive you along those lines. Maybe if God is speaking to you about baptism, we've been baptizing the last two weeks. Maybe God's calling you and speaking to you about believer's baptism. Say yes to him. Don't wait any longer. 
follow through with it. It's what Jesus wants for our lives, what God wants for our lives. You know, you may just need prayer. Maybe you want to come and pray here at the front. This is always open for people to come and pray. You just come and kneel at these steps. You can come and I'll pray with you over a particular matter. Maybe God's speaking to you about ministry, missions. I don't know what God's saying to you and what he's been saying to you in these days. But God wants you to respond to him. Don't come to his word and leave his word without responding to it by faith. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing a song. And you have the courage to come. Father, thank you this morning for your time, our time in your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, we respond to your faithfulness with obedient faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Let's sing and let's worship. You have the courage to come. Bro.